Hey, this is Stephen A. Smith from No Mercy. Festivals, football, flannels. Some say fall is their favorite time of year. And this fall, there are now updated COVID-19 booster shots designed to help protect against COVID-19 variants. If you've had your primary series, schedule an updated COVID-19 booster shot appointment as soon as you're eligible. And don't forget to enjoy the foliage sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I am Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. He played 10 years in the NFL, six for the Washington franchise. I covered the team for five years on the beat and am now the host of the Hoffman Show daily, 3 to 6 p.m. on the team, 980. We stream as well on the Odyssey app, which you can get free anywhere you get your mobile applications, Logan Paulson. And we, uh, on that show yesterday, uh, heard Ron Rivera give us the news live. Uh, kind of a weird day, by the way. They, they walk through Monday Night Football trying to give guys extra rest. They just do a walkthrough on a Wednesday. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, Ron announces that Carson Wentz is not quite ready yet. Uh, they're going to start Taylor. They did clear Carson to throw, but they're not actually clearing him for practice as of yet. We are recording this on Thursday morning. There's a chance that changes by the end of the week uh, that Carson does get some practice reps. But it certainly sounds like they're not even going to bother activating him till next week, which, by the way, makes sense. Like Get, get Sam Howell those extra reps right now unless Carson's uh, going to have the potential to play this weekend. Um, but I, I, to me, this was kind of a no brainer. Um, and this was the right way to play it until Carson's ready. You, you, there's no reason for Ron Rivera to commit moving forward. Um, and so while we will preview Houston and, and the game this weekend, as we always do on our Friday pod in a moment, I think it's worth spending a few minutes here on this quarterback situation. What'd you make of, of their decisions? Well, I think it's exactly what you thought was going to happen, Craig. I think they were going to kind of try and kick the can down the road a little bit. And I think that ultimately is probably smart because you prevent kind of this drama when the team is getting hot. And, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on whether or not I think this is a result of Heineke or a result of a change in game plan, change of philosophy. Like, I mean, they've really taken a lot off the quarterback in terms of responsibility. And I think, you know, that's something that I know Ron's been pushing for for a long time. And I think when you have a switch to a guy who's less talented, much like Dallas with Cooper Rush, you kind of simplify your game plan, simplify your approach and kind of take some of that responsibility off of them. And I think that's what you've seen. And it'd be interesting to see how Wentz would fit in this version of the offense, which I think is slightly different, right? A little bit more conservative, a little bit more play action focused, a little bit less high leverage kind of demand in terms of down and distance and obvious pass rushing situations, not obvious throwing situations. So that is a curious thought experiment. But I do think if you're Ron, uh, kind of the bead that you get from being in the building is that guys are very supportive of Taylor. And I, I don't think I'm saying anything that's surprising anybody when I say that. And I do think you have to kind of navigate the human element here a little bit if you are Ron. And so if you can kick it down a week, kick it down a week, get another win. You're in the playoff contention. You seem to be in a good spot. Like why disrupt that? And I think you, you mentioned that when we did our show on Tuesday and I think that's, you hit it right on the head. Like I think this feels like if they had to Carson could be back, but why does he have to come back? Even if it's for his own personal well-being and health, like let's right. not rush it back. Let's make sure he's good. So that's kind of my thought on it. And I don't think I don't I really don't think there's that much like nuance here other than that. Like no. the only the only nuances to me is is what does Carson look like in this version of the offense? And I don't know if we'll find that out this year or not. Yeah, and I, I do want to get into that. I had a great caller on my show yesterday who was kind of 
putting that point out there. And I'd love to dive into that um, a little bit more. The other thing I'll just say real quick before we do, though, is another game of Taylor. And I doubt that they're they're heavily factoring this in. And I think you can make an argument that they should. It's really more of icing on the cake, I think, more than anything else. Another game of Taylor running an efficient offense with 75-ish snaps probably kicks not super safely, but probably safely kicks that 70% snap threshold for yeah. once um, out of out of contention. I mean, right now it's about 60-40 mm-hmm. um, because I, I think we forget. I, I will admit, I forgot this yesterday. I actually tweeted something and deleted it, deleted it after doing a little bit more math um, and, and looking at it. Because there were so many of those games where Carson ran like 40 plays and then had two drives that were 15-play drives at the end, you forget that he actually did have some high-snap games. It felt like everything was super condensed, and he's running 50 plays a game, but it actually wound up being 70, 75 in most Mm -hmm. of those games because of some late drives. And because of that, it actually is a little harder than I thought for Taylor to accumulate. It's not really about Taylor. For anyone else to accumulate the snaps that you would need to avoid giving a second round pick to Indianapolis where currently it sits at a third 70% of the snaps played by Wentz triggers it up to a second that conditional draft pick so I I think that is something to consider here as well that's again more icing on the cake uh, than anything else but if you can get another high snap game uh, where they run the ball a ton and, and run 80 snaps out of Taylor that takes that out of the equation in a way that feels somewhat meaningful um, and, and hopefully can secure not giving a second round pick for a guy who more than likely is not even going to be your quarterback for more than a year. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously that's, that's of the trade variables. Like obviously the money was a big variable, but the draft capital you gave up for a team that I think is closer than people want to say, but you know, like a second round pick is probably a starter for your team. And if you look at this last year's draft, like Seattle, for example, they draft, cross in the first round the tackle out of um mississippi state and then they draft uh lucas who is the the tackle out of washington state and they get two starting offensive linemen and lucas comes in the second round and so i look at this team and like when you look at the composition of the offensive line when you look at the composition of the secondary maybe linebackers like that's a valuable piece that you're going to be giving up potentially so uh, that is a big frustration and you know it is icing on the cake but like in a in a league like where you look at philadelphia and they're basically able to flip their roster in a year, just managing the draft effectively. Now they did a whole bunch of like long-term stuff that put them in a really good spot in terms of accruing first-round picks, being able to trade for um, AJ Brown. All those things are huge factors, right? But to me, draft capital is very, very important unless you're trading for someone who's going to be a part of your franchise for a long time. You know, like I think the Matt Stafford trade, the Jalen Ramsey trade, that kind of LA's model of trading for players is very unique because they right. do a good job of their pro evaluation. Here, obviously, it's kind of the other way, right? They kind of miss. I don't want to say miss because there's. I think that's TBD in terms of Carson. But if you can reserve some of that second-round capital because then it allows you to trade up if you need to, trade back, it's a big piece. So it it is icing, but it is a significant variable for sure to consider. Yeah, I I just mean it's icing in that it helps confirm the decision. Like, I don't think that they're going to start Taylor an extra game to kick that out. I think unless you think you're a championship team, that's actually probably a smart thing to do. Um, It's pretty cold and it's pretty calculated, but it's also not dumb. Um, And that's, you know, a lot of times in the NFL, kind of how that works is that teams don't do that kind of stuff because you feel a responsibility to the locker room. Like, I I mean, I'll just straight up ask you, like, if you were a player – and you felt like they were playing a, a, a backup quarterback to not have to give up draft capital, and you were in a locker room fighting for your, your livelihood, like, I'd imagine you'd be pretty pissed. 
Yeah, I've been in situations where something like that. I'm trying to remember an exact situation, but I feel like I've been in a, in a, in a on a roster where that's happened. Something like that has happened. They're trying to keep someone from a snap total. They're trying to do something, and it does. I think instantly send a message to the team that like, hey, you know, we're not thinking about you this year. We're thinking about you know the following season, and that is um, very very frustrating. But it's also uh, part of the business, you know, and I think yeah. there's a lot of guys that, um, understand that, like at that point in my career, when that happened, where was that? It doesn't matter. You know, like yeah. it, so like when that happened, I was at a point in my career, where I was like, this is just, I was so jaded already. I was like, yeah, that's fine. I just got to worry about <laughs> right. me and what and worry about me and what I'm doing. Right. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, that, that, that is an easy way to, to disenfranchise young guys, a young roster. And this roster for Washington is a very young, young group. So I, I do think that would be a big deal. And, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely a tough sell. Um, but then again, if the backup quarterback's the guy that everyone wants to start anyway, it maybe it gets a little bit easier, which brings us back to the Carson versus Taylor. You know, let's, let's pretend for a second Carson gets healthy. It's, it's obviously not going to be this weekend, but you know, all of a sudden we come into next week, Taylor plays another game similar that he's been playing. It's like not super spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, perhaps it's, it's even poor, but they win. Um, I thought Robert had a Robert Griffin had a great quote on the junkies this week. He's like, I've never seen a quarterback who elevates everyone around him while playing so poorly himself. Like the defense plays better. The receivers play better. The, the line, the backs, everyone seems to play better, except for you look up and the, he's got like a 60 quarterback rating. Um, and yeah. it's, it's I, true. But I, like, I let's, think say, let's say, yeah, yeah, let's just say that happens. And there's a thought in the offensive meeting room and, and in Ron Rivera's head slash office uh, to say, if we can run this game plan with Carson, it's going to be a better version of this game plan. We're not going to have him throw it 45 times like he was early in the season. We're not going to have a guy that's, you know, when he was went out, he was like seventh in the NFL in passing. We're going to run this game plan. We're just going to do it with Carson Wentz. How would that look? And, you know, is that is that a possibility? Is the stuff that Taylor does well uh, why this game plan is actually about to, or why this game plan actually works to win football games, even if it hasn't led to very good or nevertheless spectacular production in the passing game. Well, so I think I, I do think that the the play calling has shifted. I think they understand kind of what the team, what the what the composition of the team looks like. I think if you think back to the off season and and you remember the the dialogue, it was like, what is the defense going to be? And we expect the offense to be very dynamic and kind of high powered. And so the offense would kind of carry the defense. And through the first two games, it kind of looked like that was going to be the case. And then obviously the um, the defense kind of finds its feet, finds its legs, and they start playing at a really high level. And, and the, the paradigm kind of shifts. You kind of say, if the defense is going to play this good, well, maybe the offense doesn't need to be this kind of, you know, Kansas City chief, uh, you know, analog. It can be a version of like the New York Giants, for example. And I think if you look around the league, like that's been kind of a quiet trend of teams that are understaffed on the offensive line at the quarterback position. And, you know, with skill talent, like the New York Giants, the Tennessee Titans, the Cleveland Browns, to a certain extent, um, where they say, basically, we are going to shorten games. It's kind of, it's weird. It's kind of, I feel like the pendulum is swinging, right? It was like kind of this high flute and high, you know, high, uh, very, very potent passing attacks. And now it's kind of slowly swinging back to that more run-heavy approach throughout the league, right? And so that's been kind of cool to see this adaptation to kind of 
counter what defenses are doing, put your rosters in better spots. But but basically, Washington's done that same thing as well, right? They've kind of identified that, hey, you know, because of the offensive line issues, because of our quarterback issues, we can't be this team. Let's lean into the defense. Let's lean into the special teams, have them insulate this team. And then the aggregate, by being more conservative offensively, puts our defense in a better spot, puts our special teams in a better spot. And as a result, because of kind of variables that are less sexy, like field position, time of possession, um, you know, low turnover variance, I guess, is another one to kind of think about. Our team is better. So I do think if you insert Carson into this offense, I think you look at what Indy did with him, for example, where he right. throws 27 won, touchdowns. Yeah, and, and seven he won nine straight games in the middle of the season. And I think they were running an iteration of this. I think they were is a little bit more, uh, he was a little bit more exposed in that offense, right? They, they pushed a little bit more. But I think essentially that's what they're doing with Taylor right now. And I think when you look at, the weapons that they have on the outside, it's very tempting to say, oh, let's go, let's, you know, make these big chunk plays. But also, like, look at what look at what um Kyle does with Jimmy, look at what uh McDaniel does with Tua. Like there's a heavy play action element. They infl- infl- insulate the offensive line. I mean, look at Minnesota. That's a great example with Kirk, right? They take away some of the protection issues for the offensive line, make the reads, make the throws easier. I think you'd get an elevated Carson, right? If he feels comfortable with that stuff. I do right. think it's important to note, though, that Taylor Heineke seems, when he's kind of at peak Taylor Heineke powers, seems to elevate this group even on third down by avoiding pressure and throwing with anticipation versus pressure. And yeah. I think that's a huge deal. That I'm not sure Carson, even with the even with the change in game plan, I'm not sure Carson adds that. And that's not because Carson can't do that. It's more because Carson is not as familiar with the offense as Taylor is to, to throw with that level of anticipation. Yeah. I mean, I think that is being a bit now I'm not saying like we should be mean to people because that's, that's mean being mean is bad, but we should be honest. I just, I don't think that is it's, I do think it's because Carson is not as good at that. Like he just is not a guy who throws with a ton of anticipation. Um, and in part, cause he never had to until he got to the NFL. Right. Like when you have an arm that's that strong and especially when you're playing at the level that he played in college, uh, and you know, where he grew up, wasn't the world's greatest high school football. Um, you can wait till guys are open. There's going to be a ton of space and then fire lasers. Um, you get to the NFL. It doesn't matter how strong your arm is. You can't do that, uh, at least not consistently. And so I do think that there is an element of this that would be like, would you get a better version of Carson? Yes. Would you get a better version of the offense? I don't know because yeah. the movement that Taylor has and the anticipation that he throws with are the things that make this line better. And you know, the specific throws that he makes as well. Like how often do we talk about earlier in the year, kind of the spray chart of yeah. where Taylor throws versus where Carson throws like, Hey, yeah. on the slant flat concept, Taylor's going to throw the slant. Carson's going to throw the flat. Uh, and this offense, you know, d- calls for and the way defenses play now call for the slant to be thrown more often. And Carson just doesn't make that throw very often. He, he doesn't read it particularly well. And so could you take a lot off his plate? Yes, but what's left on his plate, I think, is the stuff that Taylor executes better. Um, I made kind of a funny comparison on the show yesterday, Logan, to like you're trying to you're trying to run like a CrossFit event and you got one dude who's like a power lifter and yeah. one dude who's a track star. And you're like, we need someone who can lift and run. And you got <laughs> you got one dude who can lift and one dude who can run. And you got to kind of figure out which which one is is going to be the more effective person to win the this this event where you have to do both. Yeah. And uh, at, at this rate, it seems like the runner uh, Taylor is, is the better quarterback for that or is the better participant for that. 
Um, but it would be interesting if you gave the lifter here, the power guy, Carson, uh, with that big arm of his, a better a better strategy. And so yeah. I almost wish you could run it on dual tracks and play one game on Sunday, yeah. one game on Wednesday, and figure out who it was. To see. That's, just, that's not how the NFL works. Yeah, and it is. It is. It's tough, man. It's a tough thought experiment. But I just think back to the Green Bay game. You know, he saved that offensive line from probably five or six sacks, right, against Indianapolis in the two-minute situation. Same thing. I'm talking about Taylor now. And obviously yeah. in this last game, like one of the biggest plays in the game to my eye is that third down conversion to Curtis Samuel on third and six where uh, Larson gets beat clean off the rush. Yeah. So, again, those plays are significant. And he's that, you know, I, I think you, lo- you do lose stuff. But right now with the game plan it, being what it is, those plays are so – huge they're so huge because like we talked about on tuesday's show or whatever show that was like the 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 reason you can stick with the run game so long is if you're efficient on third down and if you're not efficient on third down because we talked about carson versus dallas for example missing you know slant throws missing kind of easy in cuts missing check downs like that stuff adds up in with this type of offensive philosophy and if he and right. so again you know you, you mentioned he doesn't throw with a lot of anticipation i don't disagree with that but i also think knowing where to go with the football and knowing how to read stuff. And this is this is not an indictment of him. This is the first time he's been in a new offense pretty much for his whole career. Um, and everyone says, oh, what about the Colts? It's the same offensive coordinator as it was in Philly, so he can speak Carson's language. This is a totally new thing for him. So I think understanding uh, that stuff and like how he's still growing there is also something that's very significant in terms of getting like where to get the football to even if you're not throwing with great anticipation so i do think that um you know it would be cool to see carson in this offense but i do think some of the stuff that taylor brings that doesn't necessarily show up on a stat sheet um is super significant so like when you know robert says oh he's elevating everybody around him but playing badly like you miss the oh he escaped this pressure oh you missed the check down you missed the scramble for six yards like those things don't necessarily show up but they are extremely significant especially with this conservative game plan 100 percent. and you know it's just, it was robert's full quote was something like you know you'd think by the way people are treating him and the way people are talking about him he threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns and, right. and he just isn't you know you yeah. look up he's got a 60 quarterback rating um but those key plays at key times the other thing that i'll add too is it's not everyone like that i guess would be in camp carson if you will is like well the big plays and it's like how many was he really getting per game? Slash, how many do you get in general per game? It's yeah. like, yeah, there are some throws that he's made this year that you're that just blow your mind. You're like, wow, Taylor can't make that one. Um, and we said so at the time. And and if he were to come back, we would continue to point those out. But that's you know two three plays a game, and and Taylor still hits some shots down the field because he throws with the anticipation. So for Carson, it's a forty five yard ball in the air. He throws it you know two steps later. Taylor, it's a thirty yard ball in the air because he gets it out sooner. Um, yeah. And, and those those it doesn't matter how far the ball goes in the air. Um, larger though, real quick to to your big play point there. I think it's, it's also like, even in this Philly game, right? Like he gets a big play to Terry on the play action pass, obviously, but he also gets a big play to Terry on the first third and two. It's a 18 yard completion, right? It's a big play to Curtis on a dig route, you know, on third and six. I know it doesn't feel like it, right? It doesn't, they don't feel like these crazy explosive plays, but those are technically explosive plays. You know, they're a play over 15 yards, right? Right. And so even though they're not like, a 75 yard bomb to Diami, like everyone's remembering versus Tennessee. Right. There are these plays that are kind of sprinkled in that are quietly very, very supportive of this offense that again, are, to your point, it's like, it fits his skill set. They're a little bit shorter, a little bit quicker developing, and he's throwing with great anticipation and letting the playmakers kind of make those plays. So I do think that that's also something for fans to kind of be aware of. 
No doubt. Uh, as to your point on the larger trends, there was a great piece in the New York Times yesterday by Mike Tanier. Um, it talks about some of the, the data around how teams are reverting back to running the football. Through 10 weeks, the NFL teams are averaging 121 rush yards per game, the highest figure since 1987. Crazy. Teams also averaging 4.5 yards per rush, the highest rate in history. Teams rushing at 26.8 times per game, a rate that has been relatively steady for many years, but pass attempts have declined to 33.7 per game, the lowest figure since 2010, meaning the league's run-to-pass ratios increased slightly over the last two years from 41.9% in 2020 to 42% in 2021 and then 42.7% this year. So basically what we're seeing in Washington of shorter games, less plays being run overall, and more a higher percentage of them being runs uh, is a trend league-wide. And, and it's funny how the, you know, how the league just is cyclical. Yeah. Um, you know, teams have adapted defensively to this pass happy league and put smaller guys on the field uh, defensively and, and played more nickel, played more dime, more Buffalo nickel. And so offenses are like, well, if you're going to play small dudes, like let's get some big dudes and start running it again. And it's also even like, I think more, like maybe more impactfully than the personnel. Cause I think, you know, this team, uh, the commanders are very good at stopping the run with nickel personnel, like, like green Bay back in the day when I was playing, they played a lot of nickel and dime and were excellent at stopping the run. Like, but what they did do and what this team does is they allocate resources to coverage yep. as yep. opposed to allocating resources to stopping the run. And I think when you see teams that have adopted this Vic Fangio approach of saying we will be plus one in coverage and down one in the run game, like like Minnesota is a great example. They have basically gone out and found guys across the defensive front that are absolute dogs versus the run. And not all teams have that kind of personnel where they can adapt to that, right? So teams that are playing down in the run game, like you're going to have a tough go if you don't have personnel. I think even Philadelphia, I know like the effect of this player of, of Jordan Davis's absence is probably debatable statistically, but having someone who's there to stop the run, having a John Ridgeway who's there to stop the right. run on our team is a significant element, right? And so I do think you'll, if you're trying to play down in cover, if you're trying to play down in the run, you need to make sure your personnel matches that. And I think to your point, a lot of teams don't have the, the they have like quick athletic gap shooting defensive linemen, but sometimes right. you need dudes who are just like big MFers in there that are going to make it <laughs> tough. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's again, it's that's a little bit of a paradigm shift in understanding how to best execute that heavy coverage structure. So yeah, uh, Orlovsky did a breakdown on that yesterday too about how everyone went to the Aaron Donald mold of defensive linemen. It's like, oh, yeah. if you get interior pass rush, well now power runs are coming back. You know yeah. where everyone was doing a lot of outside zone inside zone and you needed super mobile linemen uh and also those guys were good at interior pass rush well now you're just running power stuff straight at them yeah. uh, and you know that's part of the reason by the way why this team is so good the commanders defensively is because deron Payne and john allen can do both like get, yeah, you, get you get you some men who can do both and, and yeah. those dudes can do both um, that's why, that's why and, both those guys are going to be rich when it's all said and done. John already <laughs> on his way. Deron, Deron's time is coming. And by the way, to the Eagles point and Jordan Davis, how important do they think having that guy is uh, or a guy like that? Well, while Davis is out on IR, they went and signed Linval Joseph yesterday. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> old Minnesota D lineman who played for the DC in Minnesota uh, yeah. was, was out, you know, quote unquote on the street. I hate that term, but he's a free agent yeah. uh, and played 13 years in the league. And they're like, hey, buddy, 
Uh, we know you know the scheme. We know you're a big hog, Molly. Once you come in here and play us, play us 20 snaps a game, and, and one so, of the uh, best, one of the best yeah. in the league at that at that specific skill set. And right. so again, it it shows you like they got punched in the mouth a little bit on Monday Night Football. They say, hey. Let's go. Let's go get a body in here that can. Yeah, come on, come on let's, now. Let's go, big fella. <laughs> sign, sign on the dotted line.